You're listening to Care, the resident experience podcast from Welby. Every month, we chat with some of the best leaders in senior living to discover and share innovative strategies and perspectives that will impact communities for years to come. This week, we're chatting with Tanya Snow, Director of Bria Communities. Tanya, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Ah, busy, but I'm doing pretty great. I think we're all busy these days. Oh, that we are. That we are. (laughs) The work never seems to stop. Um, Before we get too, too far into the actual topic and the meat of things, why don't you give a little background as to your role over at Bria, as well as how you came into that role? Great. Okay. So I've been with Bria Communities for about four years. I have worked with seniors for about the last 25 or 30 years in multiple different settings, from health authorities to not-for-profits, for private and publicly funded places. And this was an opportunity for me to move from a single um, standalone uh, retirement community to oversee four different properties with Bria Communities, both um, independent living and licensed care settings that we have. And uh, we're situated in the Lower Mainland. We have two sites in Langley and two sites in Tawasson, and we serve over 500 seniors. That is awesome. Uh, I was actually over in Langley last week. I was pretty sure I passed by one of Bria's communities. I was like, oh, that's super interesting. I know who those people are. Um, and you've done, you've made quite a few changes since you've, since you've joined Bria, correct? Right. Um, I, I sort of said to someone recently, if I'd known that my role would focus a lot on building a brand, I might have had second thoughts about what that would entail, but it's been a real journey trying to really take four different uh, communities and try and streamline their processes and streamline operations so that we are far more efficient in what we are doing versus everyone sort of making individual decisions about sites, um, which created a lot of duplication, a lot of uh, missteps in some cases around um, how, uh, what approach we were taking to resolve basic day-to-day issues. That makes sense. Uh, And I find that really interesting when you talk about building a brand, because I don't think we talk about that too much in senior living, especially at the community level. What about building a brand is important to you and Bria? Um, It's really about the experience of the family and the older adult who's making the choice so that if they understand that they're coming to a Bria community, they're going to know that we have a solid philosophy around um, how we serve older adults and uh, a philosophy about the programs that we offer and the consistency and follow-up that they're going to get. So it's it's really about making sure that we're providing um, continuity throughout all the sites with the end result of delivering the highest quality of care that uh, and services that we offer. A hundred percent. So when we talk about that brand experience at Brio, what different components play into it? I'm sure it's on one hand, it's the resident experience. On one hand, it's the buildings, but all those pieces, what do you see as the most important? What do you see as kind of critical for determining this is who Bria is as a, as a group of communities? Well, the end result is always about the person that we're serving is right in the center. So all the decisions that we're making are all uh, go back and ask the 
question around whether or not this is going to improve the quality of life of the person who's choosing to live with us. It's about the people that we choose to work with us. So we have what we call the Bria way, and there's qualities and characteristics of employees um, that we put out there right out front before they're even hired to say, do you feel that you meet these values that we have? Um, and do you feel like you would be a good team member based on um, these attributes about the Bria way? And that sort of gives them an idea right up front about what our expectations are of them. And again, the end result is, is that you're here to serve and you're here to make sure that the person who you greet and meet and care for and serve every day is getting uh, the best service possible that you can give in that moment. And it, it is a process. Right. Like it definitely isn't easy to do that extra step of vetting with mm-hmm. every employee you hire. It isn't easy to maintain that level of care across every single community. So what are like the tangible benefits you've seen out of it compared to, say, a few years ago before kind of the brand took a shape? Well, we certainly are saving time in, in ensuring that we have lower uh, turnover of employees. Uh, sometimes taking that extra little step or that extra 15 minute conversation with people will weed out, for lack of a better term, those people who um, aren't on the same page as us in terms of what we want to have as the outcome for the person. So if you're uh, someone who is in tune to the needs of the people that you're seeing and learning and growing with um, every day and getting to know and building a relationship with them, um, and you start to anticipate their needs versus respond to their needs, those are the kind of people that we're looking for. Those are the kind of people that in the long run of 15 or 20 minutes extra time is going to result in a much more cohesive team and better teamwork, um, better outcomes and quality of life for the person who's receiving them. That's massive. That's massive. And I find it's easier said than done, obviously, right? Like I think we all have these grand hiring ideas if we're going to hire the best people. But a lot of the times it falls on hiring managers who frankly don't have a lot of options and don't have a lot of kind of expertise in terms of figuring out these things. What's your strategy when you're hiring people? Looking for attitude, the best attitude that, you know, there's a lot of things that we can teach people on site. Oftentimes someone doesn't have a background in a certain uh, department or area, but we really want to make sure that the person's attitude is what fits first. And we support ongoing education and learning, and we provide grants for people who might want to um, go further in their career and do something different or learn more about a different type of job. And so You know, it comes down to making sure that someone really wants to be in the setting, uh, understands the setting and really understands what our our outcomes um, ought to be. And that's really, again, around improving the quality of life for someone who chooses to live with us and be with us and, and, you know, have their golden years, so to speak, be as golden as possible. Agreed. And post-hiring, I think the other challenge in terms of finding really great staff and having a really great team and ensuring a really great experience is kind of the measuring piece, which I know we've talked about in the past. And that's Mm -hmm. something that you don't see at a lot of communities, unfortunately. Why do you measure things? I know this might sound like a stupid question, but why do you measure kind of the effect of resident experience or resident engagement? Why bother? Um, because you're never going to improve if you don't measure things and you're never going to be able to know um, what areas you might be falling down on and what areas that you need to celebrate. And when I said, um, you know, you can't manage what you don't measure. And that was Peter Drucker said that that's who it was. 
And, there it is. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's really about putting qualitative and quantitative measures to what we do every day. And even just a small thing about asking the residents or clients, you know, about their privacy and how comfortable they feel you know, with the staff who might come in their suite to clean their room uh, uh, to clean, you know, are they comfortable with that? And are we approaching that in the right way? Are we taking into consideration the preferences that they like around mealtime? Or are we really having a really good understanding of who they were in their, you know, middle ages? And and, um, are we understanding their passions around things that they love to do and that want to continue to do? And how do we support that? Agreed. I think if you want to be a leading group or a leading community nowadays, you really do have to measure those things and you have to iterate on them, right? Like you can't be the old school type where you you set your standards, forget about them. We just have to hit this and then we're done, right? Yeah, no, you have to be able to, um, you know, be open to hearing the constructive criticism um, that people provide for you. And, and one of the most important feedback that I ever get from residents is after we do a satisfaction survey, as an example, I always say it's, this is confidential, but if you'd like me to contact you personally and all and follow up on your concerns, leave your name and number. And, you know, people are always like virtually 95% of the time or more people are saying, I can't believe you called me back. And, and I really appreciate. And it just shows the commitment that we have for making sure that when we ask for feedback, that they that the residents and families know that we hear them and that we um, want to keep those doors open for constructive feedback anytime throughout the year versus just at survey time, as an example. Did you guys always have this feedback or or was this something that you implemented at Bria? Um, Before I got there, there were satisfaction surveys that were done um, on a regular basis, but there wasn't that uh, next step um, where we now produce documentation and collateral or posters that say, we've heard you, this is what you've identified as areas where we can improve, this is what you've identified as uh, areas that um, we're successful at, and we are going to commit to these five or 10 goals for this year. And we'll get back to you. We'll get back to you next year when we ask you again, and, and we'll celebrate what we were what we achieved and, and um, where we uh, improved your quality of life. Well, that's a huge improvement, right? Actually, bringing that to the residents and bringing that to families so that they understand that you do hear them. So I think that's one of the things that everybody's skeptical about, right? Like we've all seen the leave a feedback survey or like at the bottom yeah. of the receipt even, but you're like, nobody's ever going to read this thing. Like this is just going into like, it's going into an Excel sheet somewhere living in there for 10 years and somebody's going to dump it eventually. Right. 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 And I think we also do that um, when we have our all resident meetings. Um, one of the things that we make sure happens is that, the first part of the meeting is following up from the previous meeting to say, this is what we committed to doing in this past month or two. And um, just as a reminder, you asked for this and this is we were able to do it or we weren't or we're delayed on that. Um, and then we go into, you know, what's happening now and what are um, the comments and kudos and concerns that you might have to bring to us this month. So it's, it's, it's a continual feedback loop. It's a continual uh, look at what's happening and how we can continually improve. And Sometimes we don't hit that mark and sometimes we have to take a step back and uh, look at why we didn't do that the, the way that was expected and, you know, adjust and adapt and try something again. I think that's also one of the challenges of actually following through and talking to residents, right? It becomes much more difficult to deal with a goal you didn't hit when you've told that goal to everybody and now you have to own up to it. So yeah. what are your strategies for yourself and also for your team about 
dealing with goals that you didn't hit? Because obviously you're not going to hit every goal every time, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's easy to make excuses. I mean, COVID has been really challenging for all of us for the last couple of years. And um, I'm kind of sick and tired of saying that that's a reason for an excuse. But, you know, it's really being frank about things. Sometimes it is financially related. And, and um, sometimes we don't want to make a decision that's going to impact the resident um, because it, it means raising raising rents and things like that. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. No worries. I think no there's worries. someone at my door. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, it's it's really being honest and saying, you know, we didn't hit this mark. This is the reason, and you know, not putting any blame on anyone, but really trying to um, have a good understanding of why that happened and whether or not we would be able to achieve it in a future year, or if it's just something that because time has passed, that maybe that's no longer a priority goal, um, that we might need to look at things and reframe them a little bit differently. And I think that's really interesting how you reprioritize these goals, right? A lot of organizations, I think, either set goals and kind of, they're just there perpetually, um, and there's no timeline for them, or they're constantly changing them. Right. It's like today we're going to do this and tomorrow I'm going to promise that. And next week is something different. So how often are you reprioritizing goals and are you planning on changing that? Um, We set sort of operational goals over about a two year period, um, sort of major projects. And it comes from a project management perspective about identifying priorities and then um, working through the projects and timelines. And even something as simple as, well, not simple, but something like (laughs) implementing a software module or something like Mm -hmm. that you know, might seem easy as turning a switch on, but there's a whole bunch of planning um, that goes around that. And it has to be systematic. It has to be done in a measurable way. Uh, It has to be able to have some wiggle room uh, for timelines for people who may need more support or continued support or ongoing support. So we kind of see across our sites, there might be like a train, you know, the one site might be at the front of the train and some others might be at the caboose and those positions might change based on the project or based on where people are at. And we have to focus those energies to make sure that we're all staying together on the train and we're going to meet this goal. I think when goals change, oftentimes it's if you are having delays or you have a project that just is taking longer that you um, have, you really want to make sure you're closing it out and making sure that everyone's feeling good, getting a break, then working on the next thing. Some things are simultaneous depending on the teams that you're working with. I really like that. I'm actually going to apply that to my own goal setting, actually. <laughs> I think, the, well, because it's it's management that I think can be used anywhere, right? Regardless of whether you're managing communities, if you're managing a software company, if you're managing professional services, I think it's something you can take into account, right? The other thing I found really interesting was that you mentioned kind of how different communities at Bria have different speed of adoption for different Mm -hmm. goals, right? And that's obviously something that's very, very different than if you were just managing one community. So being somebody who went from managing one to managing four, what has that process been like? And what are are the challenges that you felt? I think for me, I needed to really come to a realization that it wasn't my timeline anymore. It was really um, a goal that was set together and a goal where timelines were going to be taken into consideration where everyone was at. And so for me personally, it was just taking a breath and realizing that, yes, I want this to move forward, but the goals for success are going to come from the people who know their teams the best, who know um, what stage that they are at in their learning and their ability to change and adapt. 
And some people are very, um, that's very easy for them and others, um, change is very difficult and it just takes a little more time. And I have to just try and keep people on track and make sure that when their goals are being set, that they're agreeing to it, that they are the ones that are saying, yes, we feel like this is going to be achievable, um, in this timeline. And then, you know, I'll step in and help, help them through that. If they feel like they're maybe not meeting their time targets. That makes sense. On one hand, it feels like you control a lot more when you're working with four communities versus one, but at the same time, you don't have, you can't do the things yourself anymore, right? And you can't talk to kind of each attendant by themselves anymore, right? Well, I try to, yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, when you have, a, you know, I think there's probably over 250 employees and, and I think one of the most important things is making sure that I actually know how to do every single job. I mean, I may not know want to get in the kitchen and cook, but I, at least I know how the kitchen operates and I know um, how the care centers operate. And I, um, you know, one of the things I do insist on is making sure that everyone has their name tag big and bright so that we can all see it. Um, because if I can't recall your name, then someone who might have a moderate or mild dementia is never going to remember your name. And um, that personal touch is, is really important. And so um, getting right down to the front line is really important for me. And I'm on sites virtually every day, talking to the staff, seeing how their day is going, what their pinch points are. Um, one of the best things I always say is if you were a general manager, what would you do differently? And that's a, it's a really important question to give us really good feedback. I really like that because I've always I've always felt management's like that. And you're not really telling people what to do. You're supporting them in their jobs so that they That's can do right. them as well as they can. Right. That's right. My job is to provide the support and the tools to make sure they're successful. And when we specifically, again, talk about the recreation department, mm -hmm. kind of circling around back uh, after a nice little chat about management. Where do you see that going? Because I know Bria has both long-term care. Is it long-term care or just assisted? Uh, it's long-term care and mm -hmm. independent. We actually don't have any assisted living at this point. Okay, that makes sense. So that's two opposite ends of the spectrum there. That's right. You can see kind of both sides. Do you see a difference in where recreation plays long-term care versus retirement? Um, I mean, obviously, their goal is to connect and provide um, programs around wellness that will enhance that individual's um, personal well-being, um, individualized personal trainers, almost uh, wellness trainers. And yet the needs in the care center are very, very different from the requests from from independent living. And that's often because in the care centers, you are working with people who may not be able to verbally express themselves. And so you're working with families on their history and what they loved um, to do growing up, what their hobbies were, how they socialized. Did, did they not socialize? Were they loners? Like all of those more deeply intimate um, conversations that we need to have around who this person is and involve them as much as they're capable of being involved and then observe their reaction to exposures to different things. Seeing someone be able to sit down at a piano and, and start playing and we didn't even know that they ever played the piano before is, is incredible to see. We're seeing someone who looks at paintings that they're doing and have a great understanding and that, uh, or have an understanding that this is something that they created um, and see them smile, you know, are small little rewards versus when you're working on the independent side, you're still trying to understand who this person is, but they're telling you the story and they're mm -hmm. telling you what their needs are and what their goals are for active aging. And it's a completely different interview that you might have, but it's critical to make sure that uh, 
um, their personal wellness needs are being met. That's a really interesting breakdown of it. I don't think I've ever actually heard somebody break it down quite as well between the different needs and not to downplay kind of the difficulty of recreation in independent living, but it certainly does sound like in long-term care, it is a completely different level in terms of working with people who might not be able to communicate in a super effective way and having to work with their families, having to work with observations sometimes. What are some, what are some strategies that you talk with your rec team about in terms of providing better and understanding the residents better? Well, I think, I think it's really making sure that they're comfortable with some of those more intimate questions. And, you know, interviewing someone successfully sometimes takes corners and turns and um, roundabout ways to get back to where you need to find your answer. And so interviewing um, tools are often things that recreation staff may not really have a lot of experience with and may not feel comfortable asking personal questions. And so there's a skill that is um, needs to be developed in a comfort level, and that's taught through mentoring and, and supporting people. And if making sure that staff have the opportunity to ask for support and help if they're finding it challenging, better understanding someone or trying to meet their needs. Because sometimes we don't get any information at all from someone even who's in independent living. They just have no interest in being interviewed, Mm -hmm. um, no interest in sharing their life. And so you have to create these touch points um, on an ongoing basis, on a small little moments that you create that you then have to build your own knowledge about this person. Sometimes in the care center, there is no family. There is no one who may fully understand um, what this person's needs are. And that takes a whole other style of interviewing, for lack of a better term. For sure. And that's why at the end of the day, you have two very different teams and you hire for very different skill sets, right? And that's all part of, I guess, building out that Bria brand, bringing it all back in terms of ensuring that high level of experience for every resident, regardless of where they are. Not every community is there, right? Like outside of Bria, I don't think, I think a lot of communities are pretty far off from that vision, both in terms of what we talked about on the managing and measuring side, but also on this understanding side. So if you were to give advice to somebody in your position, just starting out, what would that look like? What would be a, what would be a good first step for them? For someone in my, uh, in my position? Both for your position and for in rec, I guess. I mean... (laughs) Listen, 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 Um, you know, uh, be adaptable, be creative, be okay developing personal relationships that are professional and, you know, really trying to just be adaptable to a situation. It comes down to listening to who's speaking to you in front of you in that moment. Um, And it's going to be a different conversation every single day. That's a really poignant point to end it off on. I think that that's the right way to end it off. I think that was really, really (laughs) powerful right there. You have you have a habit of creating these like really powerful statements. Hey, they just they just work for you. I do. Oh, well, thanks. (laughs) I'm you know what I I just am who I am. And um, I have a passion for what I do. And, you know, I chose many years ago to uh, work in senior living. And I can't imagine myself doing anything different. And I love what I do. 100%. And if somebody was interested in learning more about Bria Communities, uh, whether that's for their family, for themselves, uh, whether they're interested in maybe a future career with Bria, where should they go and who should should they talk to? Oh, they can talk to me anytime. Um, You can go to (laughs) www.briacommunities.ca. 
Um, our profiles are on there. Our way to connect is there. We have a 1-800 number. We have a Hello Bria um, email that you can send us. We've got multiple different um, social media platforms. We have wonderful um, Instagram pages on our Bria Cuisine, which shows all of the fabulous food we eat. Um, Instagram pages um, of just Bria communities, which are all the wonderful, amazing faces of the seniors we serve and how happy they are. And it's just a joyful page to go visit. Um, so we're, we're, we, you can find us. I'll definitely go check that out myself. And I'll try to link as many of those items as I can, either uh, in the description for this or wherever you're seeing this, whether it's social or email, I'll try to link it all. Um, Great. Again, thank you so much for, for joining me today, Tanya. It has thank been you. an absolute pleasure talking with you. My pleasure as well.